Welcome to the Going Beyond Podcast. I'm Randy Zinn. I'm an entrepreneur, wellness expert, author, and the founder of the Going Beyond Movement. I'm constantly exploring how individuals can make the most impact on a daily basis. And here's what I've learned. Your life is part of the change we want to see in the world. Your life is the movement. The work you do is that drop that causes that ripple effect of positivity. Let today's episode be part of your daily contribution toward change, the investment you make in yourself. Let it be the fuel you need to go beyond. Hi, welcome to the Going Beyond podcast. Thanks for being here with me today. I am really excited about today's interview because it involves a few things that I am personally very intrigued by. And if I know anything about my listeners, you're probably interested too. We tend to be birds of a feather flocking together. I have always been fascinated by first astrology, I'm a Libra big time. My birthday was two days ago. So I'm kind of feeling like really connected to my vibes right now. But I'm also deeply connected to where mind, body, planetary, productivity, and overall wellness all sync together. And we all know that there's not one answer to how it all syncs together, but there's so many pieces of the puzzle. I love to understand them. Um, Today's guest is, well, she's an expert in many things. I've had the pleasure of knowing her through a variety of my friends and people whom, whose work I love, she hangs with them too. And I have seen her speak a few times at soul camp. You guys know, I am a soul camp lover. I'm a lover of the founders. I've had them here on the podcast. So I'm here today with Jennifer or Jen Rassiopi. Jen is an astrologer and a coach. She's literally devoted her life to helping women make bold moves in the directions of their dreams. Her tips on achieving health and happiness have been featured in many a media outlet. And she is actually the resident astrologer for my friend Kate Northrup's membership site, Origin. She's a trained integrative at Duke Integrative Medicine. She works with the Whole Being Institute. She works with positive psychology. She has taught at Kripalu. You guys, she's done a lot of things. It's one of those bios where you're like, let's just talk to this woman. (laughs) So we're going to, I welcome you, Jen, to the show today. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. And I will just say, I'm no longer the resident astrologer for Kate Northrop's origin. Oh, yeah. We made that change about a year ago. I was, I've been writing a book, so I just had to kind of scale back. Oh yeah. No, I'm glad you clarified that. You're writing a book. I want to talk more about that because I also love to talk about writing books. Great. Well, listen, Jen, I don't want to speak your story because it's actually a really special one. I'd love for you to share it. So tell us a little bit about how you got into this world of empowering women, of stepping deeply into the realm of astrology. Like where did this begin? Sure. So like so many people on the healing path, my journey began with my own healing crisis, which was so many years ago. Now I'm in my early forties. And when I was in my late, uh, my mid to late teens, I was having some horrific period problems. Actually, I wouldn't even say my mid to late teens. I got my first period, I think when I was like 11, so super young. And it just was never, I want to say healthy, but I think health is relative. It was always problematic. 
And I spent most of my middle school and high school years trying to figure out what the heck was going on, which meant I went to a lot of doctors and got a lot of opinions. And I was just told I was a normal teenager with um, normal hormonal imbalances. And I was given a myriad of prescriptions, mostly treated with the pill and also antidepressants. And no matter what I did, it still just wasn't quite right, like horrific menstrual dysfunction. And it wasn't until I had just graduated high school, it was about maybe six weeks after my 18th birthday, that I had a tumor rupture the size of a bowling ball inside of an ovary and was rushed to the hospital and was diagnosed with cancer, ovarian cancer. And then that cancer diagnosis was actually rescinded and I was re-diagnosed with endometrial cancer. So by the time I had turned 19, or I was actually right after I turned 19, I was treated with a radical hysterectomy. I had had my left ovary removed in 1997. And then my right ovary, my remaining fallopian tube, uterus, cervix removed in 1998 to treat a really aggressive cancer. And after that, my body, well, you know, everyone was like, you're cancer free. You should be happy. And it was like, my body was like, I don't even know what to do with this. And yeah, I had some extreme depression and anxiety. And really it took me some time to understand that I had post-traumatic stress and and parachute launch into menopause. So there were more problems caused by the cure than there were solutions. I mean, beating cancer is no small thing. So I'm always grateful that I've been cancer-free for 20 some odd years, but the 20 some odd years since I've was launched into menopause as a teenager have had their own challenges, if you will. And one of which was, I obviously completely lost a cycle, a cycle that I never really was able to enjoy. And also, yet it was a huge part in how I functioned, even with its dysfunction. So I might've been like 1999. By that point, I was like, I this whatever allopathic Western medicine is telling me is not necessarily getting to the root of what I need. And so I left, it was the nineties and there was no real true internet at that time. Not like there is today, certainly no podcasts or online magazines or blogs. And at that time to really find alternative medicine, you actually had to go and literally find alternative medicine. So I moved to California and started just exploring everything alternative that I possibly could to understand why I was so damn depressed, essentially. And it was 2001. I met a tarot reader in Lake Tahoe who was able to really contextualize some things for me around how I was relating to my body and how I was relating to my illness, as well as some things I could do to advance my life. And one of which was starting to work with the moon's phases. So this was a woman whom, which I don't think is on the planet anymore. I think she passed away, but she had sacred lunar rituals passed down from generation to generation in her family from, I believe she was Irish. And so she took me in as a mentee and as a student and started to teach me how to live my life in sync with the phases of the moon. And shortly thereafter, I started studying Ayurveda and incorporating some Vedic astrology very prescriptively along with yoga therapy and Ayurvedic nutrition into my life that also centered the moon. And that really advanced my healing more than anything else. It was the combination of Ayurveda, 
yoga therapy, Vedic astrology and moon studies, along with the ritual that started to give me a place to mobilize my agency and all this. And then I, of course, I accompanied that with somatic experiencing psychotherapy, which is a sort of psychotherapy. It doesn't, I don't think it always has to be done in psychotherapy. I think it could be done as a standalone. I happen to work with a psychotherapist who brought it in and we did a lot of trauma healing, like some physiological releasing of the trauma. And it really changed my life. This combination of sort of East meets West body centered somatic therapy that was able to contextualize where I, I had been in a family systems perspective as well as where I was in my own personal psychological journey, and then bringing in the wisdom of the moon and seasons and just strategic nutrition. And then of course, yoga. Yoga was really helpful. A few things I just want to comment back on here and and just reflect. First of all, somatic healing, just actually... um, well, as we're recording this week, but let's say a few weeks ago before this episode launches, we have the privilege of having a somatic therapist also on the podcast. So if anyone is more curious about going deeper into that mind-body connection as it pertains to trauma work, this is an episode to listen to with Lou Johnson. Also, Jen, I mean, I think what's so profound about your story is that you know, so many of us as now adult women, I'm also in my early 40s, It's like you reflect back on those early years when you first were becoming a woman, you know, those early years of your period and just starting to familiarize yourself with your physical being. Mm -hmm. Um, So much of it is beyond what we can even understand. Like we can understand now as we reflect back, but to then have this, you know, severed relationship with your cycle, with your womanhood, as we begin to understand it, I mean, really is massive. And then so profound to go back to the cycles that are always happening, the moon, et cetera, to understand where our female truth can actually sync up. Can you explain just a little bit more about that relationship between the female and the moon and where that began to change things for you? Sure. I just want to take in that whole context. Yeah. Menopause is typically defined as one year without a period. So there's a whole cycle that a normal, I shouldn't say normal because there's really no such thing as normal, but a healthy transition into menopause would look like a period where periods would slowly, gradually start to transition and estrogen levels would shift in proportion throughout the process. And of course, perimenopause can be very challenging when that happens more abruptly or is less stable, which is often the case. But in my situation, it was just like, bye, you know, it's just like, see you later. And that's a really difficult transition to not, you know, A, it happened way too soon in my life. And there are certain developmental things that are, you know, your brain's still developing, your bones are still developing. All these things are estrogen dependent. And that cycle is super important to every other cycle in the body. So for me to have lost the cycle, to be just dropped into an estrogen deficient place in my life and not knowing even what menopause meant. I mean, I knew I couldn't have kids like that part. I was like, all right, so I guess I won't ever be a mom in a traditional sense. But no one explained to me even like 
what the biological ramifications were of not having a uterus or ovaries. And they're they both physiological, like there are certain things that the uterus does inside the female body around holding space, right? Like it holds the abdomen up, it rests in the pelvic floor in a certain way. And so when you take it out, there's prolapse or there's basically a collapse inside the abdomen. And that can happen. It's quite painful. I had to go back to the hospital one occasion because I had scar tissue from all that. Just like really won't go into the details or kind of gory and gross, but yeah, like an intense physiological reaction, but the psycho-spiritual and the biological correspondences with rhythmicity is such that a healthy, robust reproductive cycle that's not pregnant, right? So as someone who's not pregnant and or postpartum, it looks like the same thing every month where there's a waxing and a waning, there's a follicular and a luteal phase. So the follicular phase is between the first day of the period and ovulation. And then the luteal phase is after you don't get pregnant and there's a waning cycle that prepares for the shedding and the release of the uterine walls, AKA the period. And that natural waxing and waning, rising and falling is as synonymous with being a woman or someone born and assigned gender female at birth as say your inhale and your exhale. It's just this process of rising and falling, of, of being really generative and then releasing. And I, like I said, I never really had a stable period. My period was always really unstable. And when it was stable, it was highly medicated. So it wasn't like I came from this place of being like, I'm so in tune with my body and my period. First of all, it's 18. So I don't know many 18 year olds who don't understand, like if you eat a bag of cotton candy, you're probably not going to feel great. Like, you know, I didn't even have like that connection yet. Like I was just still like, whatever. I was a child. And so I certainly wasn't tuned into the nuances of my cycle. I knew that my period was painful and that was about it. And often lasts way too long, but I did go through this period afterwards that just felt incredibly flat. Like, for example, I live near the ocean. I grew up on the East Coast by the ocean, and then I moved to the West Coast and lived like two blocks from the Pacific. And throughout the course of my life, I'd always go to the ocean to feel better. Like, you know, I just go to the ocean and like zone out, meditate, swim, hang, roam free. I don't know. I just knew whenever I went, I felt better. And I didn't understand why, like, I wasn't connecting why wasn't I connecting to the ocean or like, why weren't these things that I've done my whole life that no matter what sort of state or mood or situation I was in always made me feel better. Like, what was that all about? There was just this level of feeling flat. Like I felt super flat, super deflated, unable to connect to joy in a real way, but more or less be impacted by the rhythms of nature in any way, shape or form. And ironically, I moved to San Diego where there was very slight seasonal shifts. So I thought it was slight seasonal shifts. You know, I'm like, oh, maybe it's just because it's not raining or I'm not getting that true sense of winter. And sure, it's dark at five, but like I'm used to hibernating in winter. I'm an East Coast, a Northeast gal. And yeah, so I thought, you know, it was seasonal. And so I moved to Lake Tahoe and thought like if the beach didn't do it, the mountains would. And Lake Tahoe was great. I had a wonderful time living there. I was a ski instructor and snowboarded my ass off. And that was really therapeutic and helpful. But still, I was missing this, like, I didn't even know what it was. It was like an inhale and an out and an exhale. It was like a a rising and a falling. So when I discovered the moon has the same 
rhythm as the female menstrual cycle, I started through the guidance of my mentors working with that rhythm and paying attention to how I felt at the new moon, how I felt at the full moon. I was doing a lot of conscious creation and basically witchcraft at the time around calling in things with a new moon and letting things go with the full moon and a lot of spell work and a lot of altar work and a lot of ritual work. And I really attuned myself to what was left, right? Like after I took, after I didn't have a period anymore, what was remaining. And I found that there was still with time and with practice and basically in training myself to the phases of the moon, shifting my phases to mirror the moon and letting the moon mirror my body, that there was incredible resonance. So the moon's phases are uh, new, waxing, full waning. We can go into that more in depth with like a waxing crescent, a waxing quarter, a waxing gibbous, a full, a waning gibbous, a waning quarter, a waning crescent. But basically it's the same as the period. There's a rise, which is the follicular in the menstrual cycle, which is the waxing in the moon cycle. There's a culmination, which is, you know, in the body when we would release an egg and ovulate and the same as the energy of the full moon. And then there's a waning, which is the the luteal phase, which is the shedding and the releasing back to the new, which is basically what would be the start of a period if they were totally phase synced. And that was like, whoa. And I, cause I never even had that kind of clarity. I wasn't emotionally mature enough to, to know that. I think young girls today are more, even more body aware because perhaps their moms are, perhaps society's changed, but you know, I was born in the seventies in New Jersey, just wasn't part of my culture. <laughs> and so for me, this was all just brand new and awesome. Wow. It's fascinating. I mean, it reminds me of just this truth that where there is void, there is opportunity to establish new sensitivities and new connections. So I think it's really amazing to hear how you, you made that discovery through obviously quite a bit of hard work and depth. So, okay. So you started making these connections and then, and then from there, what began to shape for you? I mean, I was still going through massive and anxiety and I had some pretty significant panic attacks still and and depression when I moved. So I moved to San Francisco after Lake Tahoe to finish college. And I got there maybe three weeks before 9-11 happened. So it was still like a really chaotic time. I had moved there by myself. I didn't know anyone in the city. I was out of college. I didn't know anyone. I was a transfer in my junior year. And I went to San Francisco state, which is a very urban college. So it's not, and it's, I want to, I don't know if the right word is working class, but it was like a very working, like all the students there basically had jobs because it's a state school. So it just attracted people whom which needed to work. And then also San Francisco is really expensive. So it wasn't a typical college situation. And I was on a shoestring budget. Part of my journey was I financially emancipated myself from my parents to pursue my healing, which meant that like I was making it work on with like no money ever. And so for me, I had very real needs around like just basic survival, eating, you know, rent, just the things that I needed to do. And I was really into this idea And Debbie, my mentor taught me like really how to work with an abundance mindset around understanding how infinite the universe is and how these cycles of creation govern everything and how I need not be limited by what I believed was possible for myself financially as a 20 something and no money 
So just being in San Francisco was a huge leap of faith. Choosing San Francisco State as my college was a huge leap of faith. I had a lot of other options, but I really wanted to be in San Francisco. And San Francisco State had a creative writing program that I felt really called to study with. So I was there doing my own jam, like really had kind of abandoned the path that, you know, I thought I would take or my parents wanted me to take. And that required a lot of courage and that required a lot of support. And fortunately, by working with these cycles, I don't know. I just found there was like this divine spark of like, I could do this even as hard as it was and as uncertain as the path was. So a lot of it for me at first was about conjuring and creating things I needed, like an apartment or money or, you know, just basics. And I made friends at college and, you know, all we did was like, I don't know if you were my friend and at that point where we would hang out in my apartment and do rituals and we would see what we could create, (laughs) you know, we're like, all right. So we did lots of experiments. There was lots of like, while, I mean, anyone who really works in this realm knows that like, it's not so clear. It's a very lawless path. And so we blew ourselves up a few times. Like, you know, we were like, oh, we're going to conjure or create that. And then I'd be like, wow, that's so wild how that did create, but it was like, that's not, maybe I should be kinder with my words next time, or maybe I should be more aware that if I'm calling in this like expanded awareness to really have the container within myself to expand it. So it was weird. (laughs) I will say it was a very weird, weird time, weird shit was happening. And it was cool. It was really cool. It was super magical. It was totally bizarre. And then it just hasn't stopped. And that was almost, like I said, 20 years ago. So I don't know. It just hasn't stopped. (laughs) Because I'm sitting here and I'm like, here we are two women in our forties. And I like ask you about your past and we're like talking about how you started, you know, manifesting, creating spells, visions, like all of it, like 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, but I get it. I get what you're expressing that it is like at this time that a lot of that energy kind of started to form. And like you say, it's just kept going. Yeah, it hasn't stopped. There hasn't been a lunar cycle I missed or in anything since then that hasn't, that's halted even kind of. That's amazing. I wanted to like very distinctly turn to you. I feel like we've spent a few minutes talking about where this all began for you. Now I kind of want to like jump ahead 20 plus years and be like, okay, Jen, it's 2020. (laughs) We know exactly where we are right now. The Mm -hmm. world is going through so much shift. There is so much intensity. There is this, I would say for most of us who are really contemplating the point, there's a duality, if not more than dual, about what needs to be shifting versus what feels incredibly difficult or both. (laughs) But I think the thing that so many people are trying to understand is where they personally sit in the midst of so much shift that we understand is planetary, if not beyond planetary. And I'm so curious to learn from you, both on the basics, like how can we understand the bigger picture here? And if you want to define that as moon or astrology, or, you know, I think our listeners might need a little bit of education, but how do we understand now, you know, what is going on for us personally and on a bigger level? from where you sit, from the work you've been doing? Yeah, I mean, through the context of astrology. So astrology is basically predicated on a belief as above, so below, and that there are celestial cycles that guide our life. And basically, I wouldn't even say guide our life, that mirror our life, right? 
And astrology, you know, if anyone's even remotely into astrology, you know, you know, the terminology of like, what's your sun sign, what's your moon sign, what's your rising sign. And even what we're talking about here is like working with the moon's phases, but what does that actually mean? Right. Your sun sign is the sign that the sun apparently traveled in when you were born from the place on earth. The moon sign is the sign the moon was in the time you were born. And then your rising sign is what constellation or actually what sign was on the Eastern horizon at the time of your birth. And all three of those cycles have to do with the earth's planes of motion and the moon's motion around the earth. So basically the earth rotates on its axis every single 24 hours and then um, revolves around the sun every once a year. And its rotation on its axis is the daily 24 hour rhythm that our body syncs to the circadian rhythm. But every two hours, there's a different sign on the Eastern horizon. So that your rising sign is tied to the rhythm of the daily rotation. Whereas your sun sign is tied to where the earth is in respect to the sun in a seasonal position. And then the moon goes around the earth every 29 and a half days, a complete cycle happens. And so the moon's constantly shifting phases and signs. Well, where we are right now really isn't about that, right? Like, it's like these things, like where's the moon today or what phase the moon's in, or, you know, what sign is on the Eastern horizon shifts every two hours. So we're not in such micro cycles, but it's important to say that astrology is predicated, the basic sun, moon, and rising astrology is predicated on the geophysical cycles of the earth and the moon. That's all it is, right? We're just looking at where we are in the combination of season, time of day, time of month. And then from there, we understand different aspects of our own psychological, biological, emotional health. But the planets, right, they have their own geophysical cycles. They have their own cosmic rhythms. And when I say planets, I'm talking about the celestial bodies that are beyond Earth and then take into consideration some things we'll call like minor planets or dwarf planets or centaurs. You know, there's a wild sky out there. But people call astrology the science of the stars. Western astrology is not the science of the stars. It's the science of the earth's planes of motion in conjunction with some artificial energies from other planets and looking at how that all comes together. The constellations actually are not that important in Western astrology, believe it or not. So it's not necessarily about the stars. That said, the planets really matter. And 2020 is one of those years where We are at a huge turning point from a planetary perspective, not an earth planetary perspective, like the outer planets, the social consciousness planets, transpersonal planets are all doing this really intense dance. And astrologers have known that 2020 would be a year of crazy tumult for the longest time. You know, I've been studying 2020 in my own personal chart for maybe seven years because it's a very intense time in my own life. Like for example, in 2019, I lived in Brooklyn for quite some time and moved there after I lived in San Francisco and was able to buy an apartment in Williamsburg, Brooklyn before Williamsburg, Brooklyn became a very strong like hotspot. And it was an apartment that I thought maybe I could keep forever, 
but I just like, knew coming into 2020 that it wasn't like not the right idea. So like, for example, I sold my apartment in advance in 2019, a little over a year ago now. And so astrologers have known, you know, like this was always going to be a time of craziness. I personally had no idea that we'd be in a global shutdown due to a pandemic. I actually never heard anyone else say that idea. So I don't think anybody else had that idea that I knew of, though. I'm sure some people thought it. I don't know. What do I say? But it wasn't like a common thought. So astrology is never, you know, we live life forward and we understand it backwards. But what astrology does is it gives us the weather report, right? So the forecast for this year was always going to be radical change and hardship. Like coming into this year, I was like, there wasn't a client I told her. I was like, everyone's going to be going through something this year. And so, I mean, that's also why my work has been so heavily based in concepts of resilience, because we are just not as much as we want to say we are like moving into the age of Aquarius. It's like, I don't even know what that means, but even technically from an astrological standpoint, that doesn't happen for a few more hundred years. So it's not something that we're personally going to experience though. People will debate that that's debatable. Some people say we are in the age of Aquarius or we're moving into it. And certainly this December, there's some things happening that elevates the Aquarian energy. I'm not going to get into what the turning of the ages means, but from my deduction, many other astrologers, it's really not happening now. So we are not on the precipice of some utopia. And I think people confuse astrology with new age, new age thinking or new age methodologies because if you go to a new age bookstore, there's lots of astrology books or we're not clear on what the definitions of these things mean. And new age is something that stems out of like a neo-Christianity, which is like, if I do the right work and I get it right, I'm going to be better off. And because I'm better off, I'm going to have less problems and I just got to do these things. And then we're all like elevating, you know, the people who do the work are elevating to this new age where problems don't exist. You know, like I'm highly overgeneralizing. So forgive me. And I hope I'm not offending anyone, but I just think it's really important to have strong terms of what these things mean. I agree. Astrology is not new age. Astrology has been around since before religion, most of them. I'm not a religious scholar, but most of them, you know, it predates. And so there's nothing new about it. It's like old age. <laughs> That's all I can say. It's like old age. And astrology is just honest. It's not, the astrologers, as much as they may, I mean, it's one of the hardest things sometimes being an astrologer. It's just being like, yeah, this is what it is. And like, you have to have tough skin. You can't be a people pleaser with this, with this job because you kind of just got to say it as it is. And it's not always pretty. And 2020 is just one of those years that's just not, pretty. So what's happening is we have a cluster of planets in the sign of Capricorn, Saturn, Pluto, and Jupiter. And Saturn and Pluto conjoined in January. Jupiter and Pluto are conjoining three times throughout the year. The third time will be on November 13th. And then Jupiter and Saturn are leaving Capricorn and moving into Aquarius. And they'll have what's known as a great conjunction or a conjunction on winter solstice or December solstice 2020, which is a really big deal. And this whole year is about moving from earth to air. So we're basically wrapping up a gigantic 800 year cycle can be broken down into 20 years, can be broken down into 200 years. It can be looked at through the context of 800 years that has to do with patriarchy, capitalism, and societal structures that have been put in place to advance some at the cost of many. Historically speaking, that's how uh, society was set up. 
and we are complete. We're complete with that. Like, you know, like the story is wrapping up on what that means. Now, does that mean that we are moving into an equalitarian, sustainable, you know, way of living? Oh God, no, hell no. You know, like ideally, yes. You know, ideally, like that's the goal. But like the reality is, is that undoing near thousands of, you know, a whole a millennium of oppressive ways of relating to each other and the planet, that's not a, a non-off switch. So there is, we're in this critical moment, we're shaking it out. And certainly something like COVID, COVID happened, like exploded, like the world shut down right at the time that Jupiter, Pluto, Saturn all conjoined in Capricorn and then Mars came through and set it off. So it was like Mars can be like the lever of ignition. And it was like the flame just got lit and the whole thing blew up. So it's interesting because the planets totally mirrored that. And I think, you know, COVID is catastrophic and there's hard to say anything positive about COVID. And when we look at the astrology of COVID, if we look at the astrology of 2020, it mirrors the essence of radical transformation and rethinking how we show up in the world so that we individually and collectively can move in the direction of better, different, more just, more equitable, sustainable ways of being on the planet. Does it mean that that's going to happen? And it doesn't mean that it's easy or it doesn't mean that the path there isn't full of challenge. So 2020 is one of those years where we're basically getting ripped out of the earth. You know, like our routines are getting changed. Our psychology needs to adjust. Our short-sighted thinking really needs to deepen. And our ability to uh, be humbled has to happen. And so, yeah, I think that that, I hope that that explains it. Oh my gosh, Jen, my mind is like blowing up. Like there's, I'm so glad that you walked us through that because I think it's, I'm trying to imagine the planets (laughs) doing these things that indicate or mirror, as you said, the word mirror, Mm -hmm. what's happening in our own, you know, human experiences. It's really, really something to sort of meditate on. Where does the individual sit with this? So you just gave us kind of like this big picture of what the planets are doing, what's been happening on earth from a societal systemic level. Mm-hmm. What does each individual do with all of this and their own you know, momentum? With that question, I also would just want to say that I really agree with all of those needed adjustments from a big picture standpoint. And I think so many of us feel that, like that's exactly what we're all feeling. Yes, we need to become more compassionate. Yes, we need to rethink how we've been operating human to humans, the systems that we work in. I think most of us agree that that's the conclusion of all of this struggle. Now, where it goes, you know, yet to be seen. But where does the individual sit in all of this? Yeah, I mean, I just want to back up and just hit that point. We are in a time of radical transformation. We are in a time where we need radical transformation. And we're also in a time of wild misinformation and conspiracy theory. 
So, you know, I just want to say that through my lens of astrology and the astrology I practice, it's really important to see the need for change, but also not to become the victim, right? Like a lot of the conspiracy theory that I'm hearing is like, we're being controlled and like, we need to wake up and like escape this paradigm of, you know, a few controlling us and that there's this alternative way of being. And I don't, personally, I don't find that helpful. So I just want to name that it's a yes and, right? Like we are in this radical transformation and there are definitely like for lesser you know, better word, evils to overcome. But I don't think it's so simple as that there are some people behind some, you know, Oz mask pulling all the levers and like, it's us against the levers, right? I think that it is, these patterns of oppression are in us. There's not someone else out there pulling the levers of this for us. They're inside of us. And going back to somatic therapy and the concept of epigenetics, so much has been passed down transgenerationally through our own DNA and our lived experiences of what it means to be a human in a body on this planet, plus the lived experiences of our ancestors being passed and translated into our own psyche and soma. So our healing now on an individual level is manifold because we're healing ourselves, we're healing our planets, but we've also inherited all of these systems in our own body and through the lens of the trauma of our ancestors that was never healed. I know it sounds weird, so stay with me, but we are basically a microcosm of the universe, right? Like if you boil down like what we are as humans, like we're basically burnt out stars. Like we could have that far out conversation, which is actually not that far out. It's just physics. So that's one piece of it. Like we are a part and parcel of the whole, but we are also literal DNA of our ancestors. And every single one of us is born into dynamics that we adapt to and adopt as a means for our own personal survival early on in life. And where we're at right now on an individual level is we need to take radical responsibility for ourselves and for what we inherited, right? Like I know there's a lot of talk right now about privilege, And certainly that's a conversation like around like our inherent privilege and what we do with that, certainly for those who were born in white bodies and of European descent, how, what we do with our literal privilege, right? But we also have DNA, we have our psyche and soma, and we have to figure out what to do with that. And it's not so simple as being like, well, if only we lived more sustainably or if we had more solar energy or, you know, if we deconstructed capitalism or, I don't know, more like potluck dinners. I don't know. It's like, these are like to-dos, but the journey there isn't a to-do. It's not like something I can like, between 12 and 2 on Thursday, I'm going to deconstruct systems of oppression that I've lived and died by. And so have my ancestors inside of my own psychology and how I go about getting my own needs met in the world and all the ways that I'm personally manipulative that I don't even realize, you know, eh, I'll get that done Friday at noon. You know, it's like, it's not that it's like, we're, we are responsible for how we show up in the world, but how the world shows up is also just happening unconsciously in our own bodies. Right. I don't know if that makes sense. Does that make sense? To me, it makes sense. Okay. So our job is to go slow. You know, we are in a pivotal, 
crazy ass moment. And all the things that we've done to feel better are basically changed, you know, because there is nine months ago where I'd go to the gym every day, or I'd go see a concert once or twice a month, or I'd, you know, like, would go to a party. I have a book coming out in January. I'd have a book launch. You know, there'd be things that I do that were just an immediate win. And those immediate wins don't exist anymore. Or I should say they've changed. Like, you know, the context of the immediate win has shifted. So our go-tos have totally altered. And simultaneously, the goalpost has shifted. You know, like for so many of us, the goalpost has shifted. Like, Things I cared about last year, I just frankly don't care about anymore. Things that I was aiming towards with all my being, just like, why was I, that's what I cared about. And that wasn't even that long ago, but I don't care about that anymore. So the goal push shifted, our coping mechanisms need to evolve and the work is getting way deeper for me and for a lot of my clients and for many of my friends. So I'm assuming for your listeners as well, because, you know, we're all one in some weird way. Yeah. What's most personal is most universal. And I think that that's going to take time. So yeah, everyone's super disoriented. We're in a time of chaos. Chaos, from a mythological sense, chaos was a goddess. And she existed before there was earth, before there was light, before there was love, before there was day, before there was night, there was chaos. And she's an ethereal goddess that bridges where we were and where we're going. And chaos, by definition, is a gateway. It's a threshold. It's liminality. It's the space between no longer and not yet. And that's where we are right now. We're in a period of chaos, but from chaos, you know, what like night and day came, love and light came, day, you know, earth came, everything came from chaos. She was the start of the whole like creation myth. And so we're in that moment now. And I think it's normal to cycle through hopelessness and hope, depression and excitement, because how we spend our days and the ways that our lives are run have shifted so dramatically. But what it really is, is this precious opportunity to meet ourselves as though for the first time and deeply deconstruct the habitual ways of being that are ours, but also have been inherited or reflective of the society we were brought up in and or trying to succeed in and get really clear on what it is we want to be doing with this one precious life and how we want to be contributing and what we can personally do to be better, do better. And better is subjective, but for all of our own individual paths. That's amazing, Jen. I have to be honest with you. I usually in interviews talk so much more and I'm so enjoying just listening to you. And what you're saying is resonating so much for me. And I know it's going to resonate to the people that are listening because what you're doing by explaining this in such a way that is, it's both huge, but incredibly manageable. You're expressing that, which we're all feeling in each moment of each day right now, which is that dynamic between chaos and that hopefulness, depression. And yet we all admit most of us that we have these moments that feel oddly ecstatic. There's some really interesting dichotomies. And I agree with you, though I think you could explain it from your angle in a way I never, or maybe not never, but I can't currently 
how we are all a little bit of star. <laughs> we're all, as you said before, we're all just pieces of burnt out stars or however you beautifully said it. To me, that makes sense because whatever is happening on the other side of the world or whatever is happening on this planet, we're having an experience with. We are not disconnected. We are the dust. We are the stars. And so I think it gives me an incredible sense of groundedness to know that everything I feel moment to moment, day to day is part of a bigger rotation that we're all in right now. I sense that, but it's beautiful to hear it spoken and anchored in so much knowing. And it's not going anywhere, right? Like 2021 is a much easier year. Is it? (laughs) It's a much easier year because they're, you know, just like these really intense transits 2020. And then we move into the other intense transits, but not as cataclysmic as the ones we had this year, but it's not going anywhere. Right. Like people keep asking me, like, when is it going to be over? I'm like, what's it? Like, are we talking about COVID? Are we talking about social uprising? Are we talking about redefining how people work and travel and relate to the planet? Are we talking about, I don't know what, what's it, you know, like, what is it? Because we're evolving. And there's no going back, you know, it's like when we go back, right. To even go back to my story around cancer, it's like when we either grow or die. Right. And like cancer on a metaphysical level is like, that's what cancer can be. It's a cell that doesn't die. It's a cell that um, continues to mutate and grow despite it needing to die. Right. Like that's how cancer cells metastasize. They just keep proliferating. And There's beauty in death. There's beauty in the metaphorical dying and there's beauty in transformation. So fight to go back to where we were is latching onto something that I think is pretty much doesn't need to be latched onto. So the path is forward and the path is unclear. It's lawless. We don't know. We've never been here before. There's a lot of figuring it out along the way, but yeah. (laughs) (sighs) I'm doing so much breathing through this. It's, you know what it is? It's really affirming. And I think if you can view chaos as transformation and get on that train, then you're part of the change. You're part of the growth and you're assigning your steps, your work, your family, your whatever that you're creating, cultivating onto that path, onto that train. And it's incredibly empowering. Indeed. And I will also say that, you know, for people in my community, I'm sure for your listeners, we haven't been doing this work to always have like a green juice and a yoga studio. And uh, you know what I mean? Like to like feel soothed and pacified within ourselves. Like we've done this work or we do this work so that we can maintain homeostasis within ourselves when homeostasis doesn't exist outside of ourselves. Right. So like, it's not just like getting on board with like, Oh, chaos is transformation. It's like, how do we be in the eye of the storm without becoming the storm? Like, how do we maintain equanimity within ourselves and the ability to be not in balance, right? Because nothing's in balance. Like, we've got to throw the word balance out, but anchored in ourselves despite the imbalances of the world around us. And I think that so long as we keep that as the goal, like, how can I be in the eye of the storm without becoming the storm? How can I ride this out without being ridden out, right? Like, how do I stay anchored in my truth within while being adaptive and evolving my truth? Because I don't know who I was yesterday isn't who I'm going to be tomorrow. So I have to be adaptive without losing 
a sense of groundedness. And I think that if, you know, if I could leave your listeners with anything, it's just that, like we've been practicing for so long, so many of us, and it's not to continuously be pacified. It's to be able to hold space within the chaos without becoming the chaos. Amen. I'm sure after this conversation, Jen, folks are going to want to follow you, perhaps have the opportunity to connect with you, work with you. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing and uh, where people can find you. Sure. So if you've enjoyed this conversation, you'll really enjoy my upcoming book. It comes out January 12th, 2021, and it's on sale right now, pre-sale. And the book is called Cosmic Health, and you can get it at cosmichealthbook.com. And I just think that that is the best way to deepen this conversation is to go learn more about astrology, to learn more about my personal approach to astrology, which is taking science of resilience and mythology and archetypal astrology and the geophysical cycles of the earth and the moon and putting it into one really easy to understand cohesive body of work. That's what that book is. So I highly recommend the book. And then otherwise, you know, I do astrology readings and coaching and teach classes and follow me on Instagram. Those sorts I of love things. it. I'm going for that book and we will add the book, the link in the show notes. So all of you can get on the Jen train here. <laughs> Jen, I'm super grateful. I feel really grounded by this conversation and I'm sure that my listeners do too. So I wish you well. And one thing is for sure, the world needs work like this right now. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. 